What's up, everyone? It's your boy, TJ, or DJ uh, Tilly Winks there. Uh, uh, that intro didn't work out uh, as quite well as I thought it would be, but <laughs> what's going on, guys? Uh, uh, welcome uh, to another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast where you didn't really ask for it, but hey, I'm going to give it to you anyways. This is a podcast where I talk about anything, everything, and anything about movies. I'm your host, Chase Lee, and uh, not DJ Tiddlywinks, and uh, welcome. Uh, if you're new to the show, what I do on this show is I will... Um, you know, talk about some movie news, some trailers that dropped, and have my reviews of movies that come out on Friday, and then the box office results for the weekend. And hey, listen, if, if you were searching on the interwebs to find a, a Super Bowl recipe um, that you wanted to impress your grandma with or something, and you accidentally came across my, my podcast, and you're not a movie fan, well, hopefully I can convince you to be one. Like I said, guys, I'm Chase Lee, and uh, if you are new to the show, welcome. Uh, please spread this uh, show around, uh, share it with your friends, and let people know this is a pretty decent movie podcast. It's not the best in the world, but it's pretty fucking decent. So um, on this week's show, I have a shit ton of movie news to talk about. I got a bunch of trailers to talk about, and then I'm going to review Rings and The Comedian starring Hey, Bobby De Niro. Hey, you fucking talking to me? I can't. I can't do a Robert De Niro impression, but you guys get the drift. And of course, box office results. So, uh, but first of all, how are you guys doing? You guys doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty fucking swell. My uh, my girlfriend's in town, and we uh, we saw Rings last night, and uh, we're having a pretty good little vacation so far. And uh, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it with me. But uh, I hope you guys are doing very well, and I hope you guys have a good day, a good night, or whatever the hell you're listening to. This. So. Without any further ado, I'm by myself. No guest uh, this week like last week. So uh, let's get this started with some movie news. The first piece of news is that Millie Bobby Brown, I love saying this uh, this actress's name, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, um, she is uh, from the hit breakout show last year, Stranger Things, and she played Eleven. And uh, I really enjoyed her performance. I enjoyed all the kids' performances. And most of the kids that are in <laughs> that movie are going to be in the new It movie, which is pretty fucking awesome because i'm looking forward to it but millie bobby brown um she is being tapped to play um uh, a role in godzilla 2 king of monsters now when i first heard this i thought to myself god damn someone's agent is like working like super fucking fast and so um with this casting, this is really great news because I'm glad that these kids from this show are getting recognized and actually being offered all these um, kind of big blockbuster roles because, let's face it, most kid actors suck. And if they're really good as a kid, they grow up to be douchebags or they grow up to be burnouts. And so it looks like the group um, in Stranger Things is going to have very long careers and whatnot, especially with season two coming out and everyone's looking forward to that, me especially. But after seeing Stranger Things, I was um, convinced that these group of kids uh, are going to go places. They're actually going to, um, you know, have a have a really long standing career and not have like something that will burn out in like you know uh, two years after they stop. Um, but her being in Godzilla, that's really cool. Um, I'm not going to see Godzilla King of Monsters for Millie Bob Brown. I'm going to see it for fucking Godzilla. But having her in there is just a nice addition to the movie. And I'm excited to see her kind of blossom into uh, big blockbusters to have other people um, see who she is and go, oh, she was really good. What else has she been? She was in Stranger Things. I've heard a lot of things about that. And then they, they go to Netflix and then they watch the show and then their their minds are blown. And then they have to sit on the couch and like think about just all the awesomeness that attacked them. 
So Millie Bobber Bear will be in um, uh, Godzilla King of Monsters, and that's just great news. I, I, I'm really uh, happy to hear that. So Millie Bobber Brown, uh, good luck in your acting career. I cannot wait to see more of what you do. The next piece of news, guys. I'm not going to spend 28 fucking minutes on it like uh, Collider did, but um, Ben Affleck is not going to direct The Batman. You know, a movie that he's going to produce, star in, and co-write, essentially. Um, I'm just going to keep this short and brief. I really wish this would have been the one thing that Warner Brothers was going to kind of keep their uh, promises on because it's just set up so beautifully to where, like, Ben Affleck, who's directed... Really great movies like Gone Baby Gone and The Town and Argo and Live By Night was whatever. That was definitely his weakest film. But Argo won Best Picture for Warner Brothers. You figure, just from a business standpoint, this would be fucking, like, perfect to have Ben Affleck direct his own Batman movie. Like, how fucking cool would that be if he had, like, the grittiness of, like, The Town and you apply it to Gotham? Come on, you're setting yourself up for success. So the fact that he's not directing it, I'm not going to freak out like most people. I am very, very disappointed that he's not. But there are a lot of talented directors out there. And, you know, I would rather Ben concentrate on either the performance or the directing solo. Um, He's done both. I mean, look at the town and look at Argo and stuff. But, you know, Batman is such a prolific character. I'm kind of glad that he's... You know, stepping down and concentrating on producing it and just making sure it's an overall good product and being in the suit and whatnot. Now he doesn't really have to worry about, you know, uh, directing on top of all that. So it kind of relieves some um, stress from him. So I'm not, like, completely, like, distraught over it. I'm, like I said, extremely disappointed. But there are so many talented directors out there that can deliver a Batman movie very, very well. So I'm not really worried about it too much. So, yeah, disappointing news, but... I'm still hopeful that it's going to be a kick-ass movie regardless. So, uh, Oh, did you see that, Collider? I didn't spend 30 goddamn minutes on it. All right, so um, another one, another piece of news. Uh, James Cameron has finished the Avatar scripts, and he will begin shooting in February, or no, sorry, August. Uh, I, I'm thinking of February because it is currently in the month of February. The more you know. Um, but this is really great because James Cameron's been working on these fucking scripts for it uh, seems like decades now, uh, almost a decade, because the first Avatar came out in 2009, um, and it's almost 2019. Um, so, him being done and him starting, like, you know, principal photography and production in August, that um, is really cool to hear, because he's writing two, three, four, and five, back to back. And the fact that he's got all of them done, and he's going to start shooting, it's going to be a hectic schedule for the actors, but think about it. Once he gets all four of these done, they're literally going to come out, uh, you know, one year and the next one the next year. Like, it's not going to be like this nine-year gap that he's doing now. It's actually going to be, um, you know, every year once uh, Avatar 2 comes out. And that's, that's fucking awesome. Because the thing with James Cameron is that it, he doesn't work on movies, like, all the time. Like, he'll work on a project for, like, 10 fucking years, and then uh, it'll come out, it'll be a huge success, and then uh, we'll get to the next one. Because after Titanic came out, he really didn't do anything um, until Avatar came out. So, you know, that was, you know, like a 12-year gap, and then look at Avatar. Now it's the highest-grossing movie worldwide, um, 
it was domestically, but now uh, The Force Awakens uh, has taken that over. But he always makes hits. He always makes movies that people love to go see over and over and over again. That's how it makes so much money. It's repeat viewing. So uh, just hearing this news gets me excited. I'm excited to see the Avatar world kind of grow and kind of expand upon the first. I really like the first quite a bit, and I, I will stand by it. And I I like most of James Cameron's movies. I actually really like Titanic a lot. So um, I, I'm not one of these haters that's just like, oh, James Cameron, fucking Avatar, no, f- fucking dances with wolves, fucking Titanic and shit. Uh I like the boobs, though. Um, no, I actually think they're uh, good movies. Like, I I mean, my favorite of his isn't even those two. You know, I... I <laughs> listen, a lot of people will say Terminator 2, Judgment Day is the best. And that's a pretty good argument. But I'm not going to lie. My favorite James Cameron movie is probably True Lies. I fucking love that movie with uh, Arnie and uh, Tom Arnold. So, um, yeah, no, uh, this gets me excited. It uh, gets me uh, excited to kind of see them get into production maybe we can see some you know pictures or behind the scenes footage so yeah i'm excited to kind of see the um, avatar uh, saga continue james cameron thank you for working so damn hard um the next piece of news is that mel gibson good old millie gibson was actually offered um two specific roles uh this this week the first one being with vince vaughn and it's supposed to be a movie about pr- police brutality and it's called dragged across concrete um stupid title uh, for sure. It sounds like a student film title, I should know, because uh, all the student films I made in school were pretty fucking dumb, uh, and the titles were very, very stupid. But um, this is going to be interesting because, you know, with Mel Gibson, with all the you know controversy that he did, you know, pretty much like 10 years ago, uh, he was ostracized from uh, Hollywood, and a lot of people did not talk to him, and he was just pretty much disregarded. The fact that he's nominated for Best Director at the Oscars now gives him more of an opportunity, and there's a lot more windows that are going to be open for him to take on roles and direct more stuff and really kind of get into the good graces of people of uh, H-Wood. Uh, that's what I call it, Hollywood. Um, but being in this film with Vince Vaughn um, and being a part of a police brutality type of movie, it will be interesting because when you think about Lethal Weapon, like it's kind of like that fun cop movie. This is going to be more of a serious movie. Um, so I'm excited to see like where he kind of goes with it, especially, you know, with the revival of his career after the nomination, it'll be interesting to see him kind of get back into the acting. And I know a lot of people are like, well, what about Bloodfather? That came out last year. True. I didn't see it. Um, but I heard Bloodfather was pretty good. Um, the last thing I saw Mel Gibson in, in terms of acting, oh God, I really don't want to say, um, was that fucking terrible movie? Edge of Darkness. I don't remember that movie at all. I remember I saw it in theaters and I walked out and I immediately forgot about it. It was very forgettable. Um, but it'll be nice to kind of see him in this versus the other movie that he was offered a role in, Daddy's Home 2. Fuck that. Now, I will. I do agree with this because this was uh, told on many other podcasts in many forms is that if you are pretty much um, isolated from a group of people or, you know, Hollywood or whatever, and you are, a, a you know, this lone dog that's going to try to revive your career, it is best to go into comedies because that will kind of, like, get people to laugh at you and laugh at the jokes. Maybe he can poke fun of himself a little bit and get kind of get them, like, you know, like, when you get in fights with friends or whatever and then, like, your friend says, like, a fucking joke and you can't help but laugh? It's kind of like with that. So, um... That I'm not really excited for. Daddy's Home 2 can suck a big Daddy's Home dick. But 
with uh, uh, Dragged Across Concrete. I don't like the title, but that sounds really cool, especially with Vince Vaughn. A lot of people tend to forget that Vince Vaughn's a really good dramatic actor. Vince Vaughn was not the problem with True Detective Season 2. The writing was a problem, um, but that showcases that he can he can play these kind of subtle, badass roles and re- be really good in dramas. So I, I know that he's good um, uh, in dramas. I know he's a good actor in general. So him bouncing off Mel Gibson, that's interesting. I'm curious. So uh, there you go. Mel Gibson was offered two roles. I like one of them. The other one can go die. Um, the next piece of news is Leonardo DiCaprio, my favorite DiCaprio. Um, uh, he's going to produce and star in a mafia thriller called The Black Hand. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Fuck yes. There's really nothing more to say. When you think about what Leonardo DiCaprio has done with Martin Scorsese in terms of, like, The Departed, um, or, you know, submerging in these roles like The Revenant or... You know, being in the Wolf of Wall Street, you know that he's going to commit. You know that he's done this type of genre before. So this just this sounds like a, a perfect um, uh, combination. I am still fucking waiting for when uh, him and Scorsese do um, the Devil in the White City, which is uh, uh, it, it's a, it's based on a book that chronicles the first ever like mass serial killer in uh, human history. So I want them to do that. But um, the fact that he's just doing other projects in general fucking awesome it's in his wheelhouse and you know he's gonna commit so there you go but scorsese i know you're not listening but i'm fucking waiting for the devil in the white city let's let's get on that sir um of course after you finish the irishman uh the next piece of news uh and i believe it's the last piece of news there was a couple posters that were released and one of one of which is kong skull island and the other one was power rangers Let's start with the Kong Skull Island first. It's the IMAX poster, and it pretty much is an homage to Apocalypse Now. It's kind of got like the uh, very runny, watercolor-looking um, type of paint feel to it. Uh, it looks like an old-school poster. Uh, Kong is, you know, got his big-ass head in the background. you got a helicopter going towards it, and it looks like Apocalypse Now. It's a pretty cool poster. I'm not going to lie. I think this is definitely one of those ones that I would love to just slap in, you know, a theater to like get people talking and revving about it or even hanging up in my room. It's a, it's a good looking poster for sure. And I think it really kind of captures, um, the tone, excuse me, uh, that they're going for in the movie. The power Rangers one as someone that grew up in the nineties and someone that grew up with this, this, this franchise, um, the poster is fine. It's a little too busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I don't think a lot of people understand like what the power Rangers do or like, you know, the, fucking animal robots that they get themselves into to, you know, uh, all come together and make one giant robot. I don't think people get that. Um, cause power Rangers hasn't really been the, the zeitgeist of Hollywood for a very long time. So it's a, it's a bit confusing poster, a little too busy, but it is pretty cool to kind of see them uh, on the poster. And you bet your ass, I'm going to go see the movie. I, I saw, um, the power Rangers movie that came out in 96 or 97. I don't think I saw it in theaters, I don't know. My, my parents might have taken me to it, but I remember watching it on um, VHS like over and over again. I was just, you know, I was a fan of the Power Rangers, and then I grew into, you know, like Pokemon and stuff. So, you know, it's part of my childhood. I'll give it a shot. And the trailers have actually been a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to it. So, what about you guys? What is your favorite piece of news that dropped this week? Comment in that place that's right below my face and let me know. So, let's talk about some movie trailers, guys. There was a lot that came out. <clears throat> so, let's start with uh, some of the Super Bowl spots, and you guys are probably wondering... Wait a minute, I thought you said last week 
the this episode would be dedicated to Super Bowl spots. Yeah, but then I thought about it, <clears throat> and none of the spots really intrigued me, and none of it looked really new. It looked like the same old shit we've seen, so uh, it didn't look like new trailers at all. And I'll get to that in just a second. So it was kind of pointless to just talk about Super Bowl trailers. So yeah, I'm gonna talk about some of them that dropped now. Uh, one of them that dropped is the the Life trailer, and uh, this one stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds, Rebecca Ferguson, and you know this is the the space station movie where they find this thing and it <clears throat> starts you know fucking up people's lives and their days and whatnot. So I, I thought the spot was cool. Um, they also released a, a second trailer, which was the same fucking trailer as the first one. So I, I don't understand that, but um. I think they released the second trailer because it um, it has the date change because this movie is supposed to come out Memorial Day weekend, but now it's coming out March 24th, so it comes out a couple months early. Um, it, it looks, you know, it looks like a good movie. Like I, I, I'm not gonna like be excited out of my mind, but I will be excited to see it because I do like the actors involved, and who doesn't like a good old alien romp in space where you can't really go anywhere and this alien's gonna kill you all. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fine looking spot, and I think it, you know it's perfect to get in front of the, this type of audience and whatnot so they can get kind of um, excited for because I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. So, yeah, it's a fine-looking spot. The next one uh, that's also a Super Bowl spot is Ghost in the Shell. This trailer was fucking pointless. I'm going to go ahead and just say it right now. Out of the 30 seconds that were um, in there, there was maybe one shot that was different than what we've already seen. I, I just... Listen, I'm excited for it because I'm excited to see... Um, these anime adaptations being played in front of, you know, a normal group of people and having them be interested to go see the original anime. So that is like the most exciting thing about it is hopefully they'll garner interest in people to actually go check out some more, you know, animes and whatnot. Cause it's a, it's a very, um, underrated art form here in the States. Now I know overseas and stuff, it's very fucking popular, which is awesome. I'm glad it has like a core audience over there, but over here, there's only like a small group of people that like these type of movies. I love anime. I love um, experiencing stories and whatnot uh, through the eyes of that type of animation. I'm actually going to go see Spirited Away for the very first time in theaters because here at the Alamo Draft House, I'm not sponsored by them, but I wish I would. Alamo, f- fucking get on that, fam. I I love you guys. Please, please sponsor my show. Anyways, I really love going to the Alamo because they feature like um, certain months or like certain movie marathons and like they'll play a bunch of older films in theaters and uh this month in february they're doing like an anime month and so uh they're doing all of uh miyazaki's films and studio ghibli and whatnot so it's pretty fucking cool but uh going back to ghost in the show i've only seen snippets of the original anime i need to watch the full thing but i really like the aesthetic of it it's got this futuristic kind of robocop vibe to it and it, uh, it also has like a, a little taste of noir. So I really like um, the trailer that we saw go to the show with Scarlett Johansson. But this new Super Bowl spot was fucking pointless. There was nothing to it. Paramount, get your shit together. Speaking of Paramount, Transformers The Last Night. Once again, just a couple new shots. All this stuff is kind of repackaged or it's just a different angle of the same shot of the original trailer. So... I'm not looking forward to Transformers 5, but this trailer is, it's whatever. Like, I I really don't care at this point. Um, I mean, the visuals have always looked good in the Transformers films. I've always liked the the way the robots look and the the way that you can see, like, the individual gears working or, you know, individual parts moving in the the Transformers body or whatever. 
other than that, I really don't care for the movies, but I think visually they are definitely, uh, yeah, and I'll even say it, they are definitely Oscar-worthy because they are nominated for Oscars every single time for visual effects, and I think, I believe sound design and stuff, so, you know, good for them. I'm glad they worked their ass off. Uh, the next trailer is Girls Trip. This is a uh, R-rated um, raunchy road trip romp from uh, Will Packer, who is notorious for developing, you know, uh, all these kind of low low budget movies like um, I believe he did like No Good Deed, Think Like a Man, Best Man's Holiday, like all those types of like low budget movies that always come out like in March or like April. He he always finds a way to sneak in another one. This one is basically just a road trip raunchy movie. That's all it is. Just one Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, Regina Hall. Uh, who's the other one? I forgot the the fourth uh, woman. But I, I think all these women are talented, and uh, the trailer just didn't really do anything for me, but it's definitely going to be a, a weird step into the raunchy direction considering the fact that most of the films I just listed are PG-13. They're kind of more um, subdued, but this is going to be more of like a, a raunch factor, so uh, sure. <laughs> uh, the next one is Personal Shopper, and this one stars Kristen Stewart, and she was actually on SNL last night. Um, and she name dropped this movie. This trailer is great. Now I remember this trailer dropped like a, a while back, and I really enjoyed it as well. Um, essentially, Kristen Stewart is this personal shopper for this celebrity. She buys her clothes and whatnot, and makes her look good, and then she goes back to her hometown, I believe, and she goes into her uh, childhood home, and because her her brother has passed on, and she starts hearing like her brother, and like it's kind of like it's almost like a a very weird like ghost movie um but you wouldn't even think of it just by hearing the description of the movie and watching the trailer i think it's got a, a shit ton of ambiance i really like the kind of overall tone of it it looks like kristen stewart's gonna once again deliver because she's been winning all these like crazy awards from like can and um a bunch of other film festivals and they're actually saying like she's the best like actress out of all the you know films that premiere at those festivals and whatnot and i believe this film got best director at Cannes from last year so uh, I'm looking forward to it it looks like a very uh, different movie very unique um, uh, I love when Kristen Stewart does these smaller films because I think she's very good she's a very good actress everyone like you can put Twilight aside her and Robert Pattinson are actually good actors Taylor Lautner's um, selling tacos at the end of the street because he's terrible but the other two they're pretty good because they you know have made some right choices to kind of course correct their uh, career but can you blame them though fuck if I was in Twilight and I was being offered 10 million dollars a movie especially when they were getting to the last two I'd fucking take it are you serious so um yeah personal shopper looks eerie looks very uh, very unique like I said and I love just kind of like that dark creepy ambiance so yeah I'm totally down for this trailer um the next one is Fist Fight. Now, I already talked about Fist Fight a while back, but they released the Red Band trailer to kind of really showcase and flaunt that R rating. Didn't do anything for me. Uh, you guys know that comedy is my favorite genre, but I just thought that all the jokes were flat. I, I feel like I've heard them before. Nothing was really new, and it just seemed like they were saying the F word to just say the F word, and it wasn't really put into a sentence that would uh, make me laugh. There was a couple lines that made me kind of chuckle, but I wasn't like, you know, dying laughing or anything. And listen... I love Tracy Morgan. I love Ice Cube. And I love Charlie Day. And Charlie Day, if you guys have not been watching, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's one of the best comedies ever made. Uh, that is not hyperbole. That is fact. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I love Charlie Day. And I love Ice Cube and his, like, you know, um, 
uh, straight edged, like uh, calmness of uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street, but still being like super raunchy and stuff. I, I love uh, his performance in that. And then Tracy Morgan, I've always liked him like on 30 Rock and uh, him popping up in movies, not Cop Out. But uh, all the actors I really enjoy. And the supporting cast looks really great too. And I'll probably see it because my roommate wants to see it. And it comes out the same weekend as A Cure for Wellness. And I need two movies to review for you guys. And I've already seen A Cure for Wellness. So Fist Fight, uh, I guess will be my second movie. But, um, yeah, I really didn't care for it, to be honest with you. I didn't laugh once, like, out loud. Like I said, I chuckled at one, maybe two lines tops. It just, it looked like they were throwing everything into the kitchen sink in, as far as jokes and, like, um, you know, the word fuck and whatnot, and it just, it didn't really work for me, it just seemed like a typical R-rated comedy that wasn't really trying anything new with its humor, um, and I don't mind raunchy comedies, in fact, I fucking love them, it's just, when you see so many, it just seems like the same jokes over and over again, it's like, please just try something new, even if it falls flat on its face, I'll still give you credit for at least trying something, so, um, yeah, the Red Band Trail did not work for me, I'm just gonna be straight up with you guys, um, I'll probably see it though, for you, um, but as far as the red band trailer goes, uh, no, thank you. So the last trailer is, uh, the final trailer for beauty and the beast. And once again, it looks magical. It looks whimsical. It looks like a, a, a great Disney live action movie. Uh, didn't really care for Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I saw Maleficent. Didn't really care for that. I did not see Cinderella yet. And a lot of people say Cinderella is pretty great. Um, and I really like the jungle book. So, uh, for me personally, the, uh, uh, they are they're knocking one out of four so far for me, and I haven't even seen the other one. So I think the trailer looks really great. It, it you know kind of adds like that fairy tale quality that Disney's known for uh, by uh, taking um, you know scenes from the original while adding looks like some new stuff and maybe some new songs. So yeah, it looks like a, a pretty good time, and I'm excited to see Dan Stevens and Emma Watson do their thing. Yeah, there's really nothing more to say. Um, a lot of people have a compl- complaints of the the cgi and how the uh um inanimate objects looked it does look a little creepy it look a little uh, too weird for my taste like it doesn't even look like it gels well in the same universe but that's really just a nitpick uh everything else looks um pretty good and i'm, I'm excited to see it and i think it will definitely be one of the biggest hit movies of march so that's it for the trailers guys what did you guys think of it um all of them my favorite one um be honest with you it was personal shopper it was a small indie film, and um, I really enjoyed that one. My second one would probably be, be Beauty and the Beast, but um, yeah, Personal Shopper is my favorite. So what about you guys? What was your favorite trailer that dropped this week? Comment the place for my face and let me know. Guys, the appetizers are out of the way. All the, the, all the fuckery is out of the way, and now we are here for the two main courses that you came here for. I, I, I wasted 27 goddamn minutes. All right. I saw Rings last night, and I saw The Comedian almost a week ago. So, um, And I'm going to tell you right now, both of these movies have the same grade, but one is a plus, and one of them is a minus. Can you guess which one? Let the guessing games begin. Let's start with, well, I mean, obviously you're going to know. Uh, well, actually, I'll tell you what. I'll review both movies, and at the end of both reviews... I will score both of them. So you won't even know the score for one of them until after the second one. So it <laughs> keeps you guessing. That was supposed to be like an evil laugh, but you guys know the fucking drill. All right. So um, let's start with, let's start with the comedian. All right. So I saw this one last Monday at a press screening 
And I, I, I wasn't like, you know, super stoked for it, but I was excited to see Robert De Niro bounce back from fucking dirty grandpa last year. As long as he did something decent, I'd be like, oh my God, that was Oscar worthy compared to the, the butt munch that was uh, dirty grandpa. So I saw the comedian and I walked out and I was like, that was fine, I guess. <laughs> so uh, let's get real and break this down. Let's start with the writing and directing. As far as the actual story goes and the actual characters themselves, the story is just about an aging insult comic who, you know, we see is just, you know, he's old, he doesn't fit well with, you know, modern times and modern comedy, you know, he, he talks to people and, you know, he starts hanging out with Leslie Mann and whatnot and they fall in love and just scrippity, scrippity, scrip. The story itself didn't really seem anything new that we really haven't seen before from this type of premise because it seems like over the past five years there's been a lot of movies based on like stand-up comedians or like uh, even if they're you know fictitious or whatever. So it, it was very weird to see another one, but yeah, the story itself like it didn't really offer anything new. It was very average, kind of bland. Um, and uh, even with all the twists and turns that they try to throw at you, you're like, I've already seen this before. Like it's not anything that's surprising or anything. Um, so yeah, there's the, the story part, uh, characters, Robert De Niro's character is a dick throughout the entire movie. And when you have like the smaller, quieter emotional moments between his character, it doesn't really fit well with the rest of the movie. And that goes for the whole movie in general. Tonally, it's all over the place. When you have like these, these raunchy, insulting, uh, crude comedic scenes, which are somewhat funny. And then you switch to, oh, the, these characters actually have heart and they're actually, you know, really human. A lot of people just, you know, they don't hang out with stand-up comics outside of the stage. So, you know, they really don't, you know, get their feelings because a lot of people say that stand-up comedians are actually the most tragic people. And I, I, I understand that to an extent. But just just tonally, it didn't mesh well in terms of having the raunchy comedy scenes and then switching over very randomly um, you know, to a, a more quieter, darker moment, and it just it didn't really have a a flowing transition uh, between those scenes. So yeah, I just think for character wise, um, I think they're very like blandly written, and there's really nothing about them. And the same thing goes with Leslie Mann. You really don't know much about these characters. Like you know a couple like things they've done in their past or things that have happened in their past, but you really don't get to know them. So when you get to the more, you know, emotional moments, you don't really connect to anyone because they were kind of dicks in the scene prior. So, um, yeah, I think the characters are poorly written in, you know, uh, uh, Robert Nero's brother in the film played by Danny DeVito. You could have literally gotten anyone in the role that didn't require anyone to be famous like that. I thought that was a very underwritten character. So was Leslie Mann's dad. Didn't really care about him at all. It was just like, I really didn't care about the story or the characters in general. Um, and that's just, you know, that is an issue for me. I didn't really connect to anyone emotionally or anything. So when, you know, some of the heavier stuff would happen, I was like, okay, I'm watching like decent performances, but I'm not really watching anything that's compelling. You know what I'm saying? So, um, directing wise, um, once again, it's just it's a very average movie. Like, there's really nothing that was like no risk we're taking in terms of the way it was shot or the way they you know had the characters in a scene or whatever. It just it's just a very basic standard movie that I didn't feel like the directing was like as a 
as weighty as you know um, other movies and whatnot. They're you know a comedy with heart. I just you know it's, it's like okay, and, and I think the the biggest uh, offense uh, or biggest offense to the directing is that it and to quote uh, one of my fellow critics, Carrie Darling of the Forward Star Telegram, when we got out of the screening, the first thing he said was that was like a sitcom. And when I started thinking about it and stuff, I was like, holy shit, he's right. It is like a fucking sitcom. Because every single time when the, the scene would change to another scene, um, sometimes movies will have transitional pieces of music to kind of bridge that gap in between the scenes, right? So after you know a scene would end and go to the next one, you would have this cheesy-ass jazz saxophone playing in the background as if it's a fucking parody of, of itself. Like it just—it seemed like the most stereotypical, like New York thing to do because this movie set in New York. To have that jazz saxophone in the background, it just—I I didn't really like um, uh, the transitions at all musically or you know sound-wise. It just—it's it, already an average story, but then you you start to downgrade it just a little bit more with those transitions. So yeah, just the directing didn't really do anything for me. Um. Acting wise, I will I will say this: as much as I didn't really care for the characters or the fact that they were underdeveloped or one note, I thought Robert De Niro gave a pretty good performance. Like it wasn't like anything outstanding. It's like oh my god when he when he passes on, uh, probably next week because you know, uh, it just seems like there's actors and actresses dying like every single day. But um, when he eventually does pass, we're not going to go oh yeah the comedian was one of the best roles he ever did. No, it's like he was he was good. In it. He was passable, and I will say he was way better than Dirty Grandpa. So uh, he he jumped over that hurdle just fine. Leslie Mann was also very good, and I know a lot of people have a problem with their romance in the movie because Robert De Niro is you know sixty eight and she's like in her forties. Yes, technically you can see Robert De Niro practically being her father, especially since in the movie Harvey Keitel plays her father, and I think him and Robert De Niro are around the same age, I believe. Um, Harvey might be a little older. I, I don't know, but I think they're around the same age, and I, that didn't really bother me so much because I, 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 their chemistry was somewhat there, so I somewhat could believe it. Um, so yeah, that didn't really bother me too much. But I thought Leslie Mann was good. She kind of had that that bite, uh, uh, and kind of a defensive nature to her character, but she also had like this sweet, caring side to her. So I thought she was good. And then when you think about Robert De Niro's performance, he had like. Um, he had that sharp and that wit that you would see a stand-up comedian have, and then he would have like his more tragic choir moments of really kind of revealing some shitty things that happened in his past. And I thought he delivered, you know, those pretty competently. So yeah, I thought them two were good, and I like Danny DeVito quite a bit, and I like Harvey Keitel, but they were just you could have literally gotten anyone for those roles, and just, I felt like it was such a waste to have them in there, even though they were fine in their roles. But as far as the two main leads, they're good. So. Uh, Acting-wise, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, cinematography-wise, it's a little flat, to be honest with you. When, you. when you're filming something in New York, you figure you would have something, you know, luscious and just something so um, gorgeous about, the, you know, the, the way the city looks at night and just all the lights and, you know, the people. It looks so lively and you just want to be, uh, you, you want to go there right now. You just, you feel like the movie is inviting you into this, like, really wonderful place. And... For a movie that's shot in New York, it is very flat. Like, it was just, yeah, it was just a very real flat-looking movie. So, um, editing-wise, this is where it will probably get most people. The movie's two hours long. And for me personally, I wasn't, 
I wasn't affected by the time length so much. I was just more of like, I wish there was a little bit more emotional weight to the movie type of deal. Um, but all the critics around me thought it was way too long for what it should should have been. And there was a lot of scenes that didn't really add any context to the movie. And it just felt so random. And, you know, when you see shifts like that in the story, it just the movie feels longer than it should. And so I didn't find a problem with the editing overall. But I know some people that will go see this movie might have a problem with it because it is two hours long. And, you know, when this feels like a very weird parody of itself sitcom, it could seem way longer than it should, especially when it's trying to be serious. So, um, yeah, that's my review of The Comedian, but I'm not going to give the score yet. We're going to jump into Rings now. I saw this last night with my girlfriend. And um, I l- – listen, guys, I really like the first one quite a bit. I think the first one is actually – one of the best American remakes of J-Horror. I think it probably is the best. Um, I actually prefer the American version of The Ring versus Ringu, which is the original Japanese version. I've actually seen the Japanese version. I actually don't really care for it. Um, and then I'm the exact opposite on The Grudge. I think the uh, Juwan, The Grudge over in Japan, is way better than the American version. So, you know, tit for tat. Um, but I really love the first one, what Gore Verbinski, Gore Verbinski did and making it so visually palpable and just, it just strikes fear into you just with the color correction, the way the cinematography looks, it looks like this dark fucked up, uh, like, um, spooky story that you would tell someone around a campfire was so fucking well done. The second one sucked. And you know, what's really ironic about the second one is that it was directed the American sequel was directed by the guy who did the original Ringu. And it sucked over here. So it, it, it makes no sense to me. Um, but, but I was looking forward to Rings. I'm excited to see kind of where they take this movie. And I will say this. It's in the middle. Like, I would have actually preferred this to have been the sequel versus Ring 2. Um, I think it's better than the Ring 2, but it's still not as good as the first one. So... Um, let's get real and break this down. And just real quick, uh, my girlfriend actually really, really dug it. So yeah, it wasn't actually a, a bad experience. And when considering the fact that I just saw Bye Bye Man and that sucked the biggest amount of testicles, this was a huge surprise compared to that, but still not perfect. So, uh, let's get real and break down rings. So we'll start with the writing and directing, uh, the actual story and characters themselves story wise, believe it or not, it's like the first one. It's literally built like the first movie where, you know, um, Naomi Watts in the first one, she discovers the tape, she watches it, and she wants to try to figure out the mystery behind this video and the images that plague the video, and she's got to figure it out in seven days, and you figure out Samara's past and all that stuff, and it leads to this conclusion of her finding the well under, you know, neath a, a cabin wood floor. And guys, this movie's been out for 15 years, so if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Um, but I won't spoil the new one, but anyways... This one's kind of like that, where you have a main character, discovers the tape, and wants to try to figure out the mystery within seven days. And that's all I'll say. Um, so the story itself is literally a replica of the first, and it's, it's decently done. Um, some of the characters are dopey. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it goes with some of these horror films. But the main character and the main character's boyfriend, um, I thought they were they were fun to watch, and I thought um, she was intriguing uh 
you know, with her performance and, you know, just her trying to figure out this mystery and whatnot. I, I thought that her character was r- really cool. I thought Vincent D'Onofrio's character um, was a cool addition to the story and the mythos of this um, tape and whatnot. Uh, Johnny Galecki's character, the professor, thought his um, character was pretty cool. And I thought, like, what he did uh, with you know, within the story when I was, was kind of dope. Some of the things don't really make any sense with, you know, some of his things, but the, the way his character's introduced and how it ties in everything, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, uh, yeah. So character wise, it's not bad. Um, I, I thought most of the, the main leads or whatever were definitely more tolerable than like, you know, say the bye-bye man or whatever, wrestling evil, fuck that movie. But as far as story goes, like I said, it's a replica of the first, and there's a there's a few things that don't really make any sense, and there's a few things that just kind of happen for the sake of happening, or happen for the sake of a jump scare, or doesn't really uh, feel like it ties into anything. It just it was just kind of there and to progress the story, and doesn't really have any actual weight to the overall story. Um, and there's a couple things that don't make any sense to me um, in terms of you know like Johnny Galecki's character and the professor but like i said i'm not gonna spoil anything i'm gonna try to tiptoe around it so some of the things don't really make any sense um and i will say the ending of the movie not gonna lie i thought it was i thought it was a decent little ending and to, to be quite frank with you i wouldn't mind seeing like where this movie goes like in the future and whatnot so I, i'm actually okay with the ending and i do like the mythos of what this main character kind of uncovers about the tape and whatnot, and just kind of adding more layers to the mythology, because I do like the first one, I do like Samara's like kind of background and history, and this one kind of dives into more background and history, and so I really kind of dug it on that aspect, so, um, yeah, the story itself is pretty decent, it's got some interesting twists and turns to it, it's got some great mythos to it, but there's a couple of dumb things that happen, there's a couple of characters that are just dopey, and getting to some of the dialogue of the actual film, for the most part, it's not bad, but there are a few lines that made my eyes roll, I was like, oh my god, that was, <laughs> even with the the greatness of these actors that, you know, did a pretty decent job, some of these lines that they uttered were just fucking horrendous, I was like, ugh, did anyone like, read this out loud so some of the dialogue is pretty pretty dumb but uh for the most part it's um it's not a badly written movie um as far as the directing goes uh i the reason why i like the first one is because uh uh because of gore verbinski because of the visual flair that uh he brought uh to the, that movie, like, it, when you watch the original Ringu, it has a, uh, it has a distinct, like, J-horror look to it, but when you watch the American version, the colors are muted, the the greens pop out more, the, the imagery is more disturbing, like, there was such, like, a, a vis- visceral rawness to it, and that's what I really appreciate about it, and it's actually one of the creepiest PG-13 horror movies that I've ever seen, that movie still gives me nightmares to this very fucking day. The second one does not because it makes me laugh. But, um, and I think that's what was missing in the directing of Rings was the fact that the director didn't really try anything new. And to be quite frank with you, the Samara was barely even in it. So there wasn't really that many like uh, disturbing imagery. 
as much as the first one, and it, it just seemed like a very like safe movie. There was a couple things that were tried within it in terms of like scares and death scenes and cinematography wise that were pretty interesting ideas. But I think for the most part, when you compare it to the first one, the first one just has like that visual uh, style to it, and I love the way the color palette looks and the cinematography is just so rich and beautiful. The directing this isn't bad; it's just more of like. Oh, okay, like, he was trying some certain things and whatnot, and there was a couple shots that were really fucking cool, and I was like, that was really awesome, and really kind of uh, immerse you into the experience, and really kind of um, uh, get the, the best scares and the best terror out of you. So, I think the overall direction isn't bad, I just think that it's lacking on genuine disturbing imagery, and lacking on... Um, you know, creepy scares. It's lacking on a, a distinct style to stand out. It's just it was very average and very um, basic compared to the first one. Now the second one just takes that and flushes takes the first one and flushes it down the toilet. At least this this third one was making an effort to be um, standing out from the second one. So I do appreciate that. It just doesn't have that uh, exact punch that you you would want from a ring film like the first one did. Um, going into the acting, I actually really like the acting. It's it's like I said, everyone delivers pretty good performances. I am not the biggest fan of the Big Bang Theory, but I've always been curious to see everyone kind of step outside of that show and do their own thing. Like I like when Jim uh, Jim Parsons does you know like animated work or when he's in movies like Hidden Figures. He's a nice little um, sprinkling addition, if you will. Uh, with Johnny Galecki, I thought he was really cool as a professor. He did a good job. Wow, that was really disgusting. Um, he does a pretty good job in his role, and uh, 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 I, I thought he, you know, he added, you know, a, a certain amount of weight to it. Um, that you know is better than like just hiring like the, you know, a two bit actor on the street. You know what I'm saying? So at least like they got some talent to be in there. And I think that's what I was trying to say. They got you know, talent in there to actually kind of elevate this material to as best as they could. So when you have Johnny Galecki in there, he does a pretty good job. The main, uh, the main chick, she was really good. I, I really enjoyed her. I, I enjoyed, um, kind of this, uh, fierce nature that she had about her. She was very determined to do what she was going to do. She wanted to figure out this fucking mystery as fast as possible. Um, I, I really liked her performance quite a bit and she kicked a lot of fucking ass. Uh, as far as, um, everyone else, uh, it's questionable at best. Now the boyfriend of uh, uh, the main character, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was okay. Like he wasn't his best. He wasn't as good as like Johnny Galecki or uh, the, the main chick, but he was serviceable. Uh, all the other actors, I gotta be honest, were not pretty bad. They were just like kind of bad <laughs> compared to like the other three that were actually trying like some of the lines of dialogue that they uttered just made it even worse um vincent d'onofrio plays the blind priest he's only in the movie for a little bit but i thought he was uh he wasn't as terrifying or as creepy as they wanted him to be but i mean he was he was okay uh i, I think getting him in the role just add, like i said just kind of adds the extra oomph that you would want from these performances because I know that these are not supposed to be Oscar winning movies, but you want to try to get the best actors as you can to um, get the best performance you can out of this fucking material. Because let's face it, folks, it's about um, people that watch videotapes uh, and die in seven days. Um, 
So yeah, that's pretty much it with the acting. And speaking of um, videotape in seven days, I forgot to mention that in the overall like uh, writing and uh, uh, directing and stuff is that uh, uh, is that it is very fucking weird to see a movie in 2017 and them having to fucking reference a VHS. It just it felt so out of place and like it's 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 old news nowadays. And I was wondering how they were gonna play into it. What they did to play into the actual tape was fine. I didn't mind that, but the opening scene was pointless. They could have literally just had it be any other opening scene, which the which is the plane sequence. It's online. It's the first three minutes. Um, luckily, it's just over with. Like that opening sequence, it was pointless. It did not need to be fucking there, and it could have literally been any any other sequence. So, yeah, uh, I forgot to mention that in the the over uh, the writing and stuff. It's just VHS guys. There was teenagers in our audience. They don't know what the fuck that is. So um, it just seemed very weird, especially in 2017. So, um, yeah, uh, as far as cinematography goes, it's not as visually striking, like I said, as the first one. But there were interesting, like you know, dolly shots or wide shots that use that they used, or some interesting kind of creative scare tactics and whatnot. So I appreciate the way the cinematography was done. It wasn't as bad, like I said is the second one, but it, it was trying to emulate the first one. And I thought it did a, a good job trying to make something of its own. So cinematography, it's got, it's kind of got like that green tint to it almost in some scenes. Um, but I, I think, uh, they, they tried the best they could. So, uh, editing wise and special effects, uh, editing wise, I think it was about an hour and a half long for me. I, I was actually, intrigued by the whole hour and a half i actually wanted to see more mythos and more background history into these characters and the tape and whatnot so i was actually uh intrigued from start to finish and i was drinking a shit ton of alcohol so i was actually kind of drunk but i still i was like so engaged with it. i was like yeah this is kind of cool actually I, I enjoy it so uh special effects uh the girl that plays samara which she's not even in the movie that much um uh, she's good. I really like the way she contorts her body and stuff, and you make that practical and whatnot. As far as the CG elements of it, weren't terrible. Um, and definitely not as bad as, like, the Bye Bye Man, that fucking fried bologna butt fuck of a dog. Like, that was awful. Um, but for this one, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not bad. So, um, as you guys can tell, like, I'm kind of just, like, down the middle with this movie. It's not, like, the worst thing in the world, but I do think it adds upon the mythology and the uh, history of the, the tape and everything. And it adds some neat elements. It kind of ends on a really cool cliffhanger. The performances were pretty good, and I liked some of the cinematography and, like I said, directing ideas that he had in the movie. So, um, for so I want you guys to, to guess... Which one I'm going to give the plus and which one I'm going to give the minus to. I'll give you 10 seconds. No, we ain't going to fucking wait that long. All right, so the comedian, I'm actually going to give a C minus. I'm going to give the comedian a C minus. And there you go. I just ruined the Rings movie. I'm going to give Rings a C plus. So both of these movies are down the middle for me. And the reason why I went minus on the comedian, because I thought it was... Uh, once again, not really engaging. I wasn't really emotionally connected to anyone. But the performances were at least decent to where I didn't want to dip it down to a D plus. And I, I'm giving Rings a C plus because I think, like I said, they try some interesting ideas. There's some interesting imagery in it. And uh, I overall enjoyed it way more than I thought it would. It's not like 
anywhere near a B quality by any means, but I think a C plus is pretty, uh, pretty honorable for this said movie. So what did you guys think of rings and the comedian? And have you even heard of them? Comment in the place where my face and let me know. All right, let's get into some box office results, guys. Uh, how did rings do? Let's fucking find out. All right. If my internet will cooperate with me, I can have these numbers up pretty, pretty fast. All right. Ooh, ooh. Now I haven't seen these numbers yet, so this is gonna be pretty, pretty interesting. Um, oh, that's bad. <laughs> um, all right. So there was actually f- four releases that came out this weekend. The first of which was "I Am Not Your Negro." Uh, it came out um, in twenty third place with seven hundred nine thousand dollars. It's one of the documentaries being nominated for best uh, documentary at the Oscars this year. I have not seen it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it because I really. Enjoyed 13th. I enjoyed OJ Made in America. So I'm excited to see more documentaries from the nominated list. The Comedian came in at 19th place with 1.1 million. Yikes. Now, granted, it was only in 848 theaters, but that's still pretty bad. Um, The other one that came out, which released in almost 3,000 fucking theaters. Now, I'm going to check the the score right now live for you guys because I I haven't checked it in a while. And it was really fucking bad uh, last time I checked. We Believe it or not, when I was in a cure for wellness this past Thursday, uh, me and Carrie Darling, the other critic or whatever, we were actually making fun of this movie because we just pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes like message board and we would just read all the little blurbs and stuff and they were so fucking hilarious. Okay, that, okay that's, that's not, that's not um, uh, remotely correct. All right, so on Rotten Tomatoes right now, Rings has got a 5%. Well, fuck you. <laughs> and uh, The Space Between Us has gotten 18%. What the fuck? The Space Between Us was at a 6% on Thursday, and it jumped up? Ah, fuck you. And The Comedian's at 25%, so all these are, like, extremely rotten. I Am Not Your Negro is actually at 97%, which is really, really good. But Rings of 5%? Motherfucker, did they see Bye Bye Man? It is not that bad. The Bye Bye Man has a fucking higher score than that, I think. What the hell? Okay, like I said, let me reiterate. Rings is not like this movie I'm going to remember at the end of the year. It's a very average movie, but I'm going to give it that slight edge to a C plus, which is barely making it fresh. Um, so a C plus would probably be like, like what a a sixty percent? Yeah. So I'm I'm barely like you know putting it over. I'm not saying it's the best thing ever, but five percent. Oh, come on. It's better than The Comedian. I've heard it's better than The Space Between Us. That's that's fucking bullshit. All right. So The Space Between Us uh, came out in ninth place with $3.8 million on a $30 million budget. You guys know the rule. You got to double the budget, and you have to add P&A and marketing. Someone's saying they need about $75 million to break even, and they only made $3.8. That is fucking awful. All right. Getting into the top five of the weekend. Number five. We have La La Land with $7.4 million, and right now it's doing very, very fucking well. Uh, its budget is $30 million, double that $60 with its P&A marketing, about $65.70. It didn't spend too much. It's made $268 worldwide and $118 just in the States and Canada. My God, that is fucking phenomenal. So, good job, La La Land. Still hanging in there. Number four is Hidden Figures with $10.1 million. Uh, it's doing very well, just like with a La La Land. It's actually uh, in the uh, little in the lead domestically. Its production budget is twenty five million. Double that, we're looking at fifty. P and A marketing maybe sixty. 
Uh, domestically, it's made $119 million. Worldwide, it's made 122. It's only made about two million uh, in foreign market. That's really good. So, Hidden Figures is a really good one, guys. So, I will continue to keep talking about it until it drops out. Um, I'm I'm actually looking at the list right now, and I'm trying to find Bye Bye Man. Is it? Is it not playing anymore? <laughs> no, it's not. Wow. Oh wow, that's, that's really fun. <laughs> Uh, number three is the dog's purpose with 10.8 million. Uh, even after the controversy, it still made money. Um, its production budget is 22, double that. We're looking at 44 and with PNA marketing, um, 50, 55, maybe it's made 42 worldwide. So it's not bad. Um, number two is rings with 13 million. Um, it's budget. I'm actually surprised it's this high considering the fact that, you know, fucking gross bye bye man was like, you know, 5 million and most of the horror movies nowadays are made for 5 million or less. It's budget is 25 fucking million. That is way too high for that movie. But, um, yeah, doubling that with, uh, it's P and a marketing, probably 60 million to break. Even it's made 28 worldwide so far. It's not bad. It'll probably make its money back. And number one for, I believe the third week in a row is split with 14.5 million. It only dropped another 40%. Dude, people are fucking loving this movie. And I, I like the movie quite a bit, so I'm glad people are supporting it. Uh, its budget, once again, going to those low numbers, $9 million. So doubling that plus the P&A mark, and we're looking at $25, $30 million tops. It's made $150 fucking million for uh, worldwide numbers. And it's made almost $100 million domestically. That is fucking insane. That's, that's awesome, though. So that will do it for the box office results, guys. And guys... That will do it for the show this week. I want to thank you guys for listening um, and comment on any of the stories or movies that I reviewed this episode. Uh, uh, share it around. Tell people it's you know it's pretty decent. You know, uh, next week, uh, episode one hundred sixty-eight, I will have my reviews of Lego Batman and John Wick two. And I'm I'm hearing the people in the the far back of the room. Where's Fifty Shades Darker? I'm not gonna fucking go see that by myself. So. Uh, I reviewed the first one. I don't know. I might, I might go see it by myself and surprise you guys and do a triple, triple feature. But as of right now, the scheduled movies are John Wick two and uh, the Lego Batman movie. Might sneak in uh, Fifty Shades Darker. Uh, no pun intended. Um, uh, we'll see. So, uh, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, like, follow, share all that shit on Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio. You guys are fucking awesome. I'm glad you guys uh, found something to listen to uh, every single uh, week and whatnot. I appreciate it. So continue to spread the the decent word about my podcast. Just be like, hey, check this out. It's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so uh, thank you guys for listening once again. Episode 168 next week, Lego Batman and John Wick 2. This week, I did Rings and The Comedian. So if you listen to this entire movie podcast and you are not a movie fan well hopefully i convinced you to be one i will see you guys next week guys you guys are fucking awesome like always i'm chase lee and the intro and outro music is done by my friends band forever rose and speaking of them link will be in the description below all the links will be in the description below let's play them out right now Bye bye <laughs>